Our Bible reading comes this morning from Acts 12. It's found on page 1712 of your Pew Bibles. At about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handed him over to, the, to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out of the public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in a cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of their prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of the one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came but to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. There many people were gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhonda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and explained, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When, they kept insist when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened a door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was, a, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judah to Caesarea and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him, having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal assist servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the country, the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not a man. 
Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. Then Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission. They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Today's sermon is written by Reverend Jerry Hatema. One of the foundations of Christian faith is a certain belief in the sovereignty of God. We live in a world that seems in many ways to be out of control. There is a lot of frightening stuff happening in our personal lives and all around us. We just need to watch the daily news read any media outlet, or become aware of bewildering circumstances in our own lives or the lives of those we love. And yet we sing, this is our Father's world. And though the wrong seems often so strong, God is the ruler yet. Bible-believing Christians have always believed in the sovereignty of God. Today we are going to look at a story that happened in the early New Testament church. The story has a wonderful teaching for us that reminds us that God is still in control of our world and that he will work out his sovereign plan and will. The story will help to reinforce our faith in the sovereignty of God, which is one of the main tenets of the Christian faith and a teaching which Reformed people have cherished. The sermon title this morning, God is Still in Control. One family stands out in the New Testament as particularly cruel the representative of the powers of darkness. It is the family of Herod. It was one of the Herods who had the children of Bethlehem murdered while trying to kill Jesus who had been just been born. He was called Herod the Great. What a misnomer that was. He was so cruel that he not only murdered the children of Bethlehem, but he also executed one of his wives and three of his sons. Now, Herod Agrippa, in this chapter, was the grandson of this Herod the Great. He wanted to curry the favor of the Jewish people, and particularly the rules like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he did that by observing Jewish law and all Jewish observances. This made him popular with the Jewish people. In order to advance his popularity with the people, he had James arrested and killed. Chapter 12 begins by saying, It was at about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Note that Peter was put in prison rather than immediately executed because it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread which followed the Passover. During this time, Jewish law, which Herod meticulously kept to gain favor with the people, permitted neither trial nor sentencing. This was the third time Peter was arrested. Herod wasn't going to make any mistakes in safeguarding Peter since he had escaped prison before. So he had 16 soldiers guarding Peter in prison. More than likely, two soldiers were shackled to Peter. Talk about maximum security. Reminds you of Pilate securing the grave of Jesus. But Herod 
Herod Agrippa would soon learn that he was foolish to fight God, that God's power is greater than any other power, and that God's sovereign plan will prevail. But in that prevailing of God's power and plan, God uses the prayer of his church. As soon as the church heard about Peter's imprisonment, they gathered for prayer. Acts 12, 5 reads, So Peter was put in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for God for him. The people who gathered for prayer had witnessed the death of James. James had been one of the leaders of the early Christian church. And now Peter appears to be next. They cry out to the Lord, Lord, not Peter too. The text says that church was earnestly praying for God for him. When the church faced trouble and persecution, they turned to God. Herod had the power of the sword, but the church had prayer, which was the only true power that powerless possess, says John Stott. You see, that's finally the only place that you can sometimes still turn. When you find yourself in crisis, how do you respond? When you are up against stuff in your life, then maybe all you can do is pray. I am sure you have been there, but what a power. That word earnestly in Greek is the same word that was used by Jesus when he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, that God might show him another way than the way of the cross. It refers to being in deep agony of soul. It's like when your doctor comes and tells you that you have cancer and there is no cure. The police come to your door late at night to tell you about an accident. And, that, and you cry out to the Lord in anguish of soul. That's how the people prayed. We should learn to pray more like that. The people must have cried to the Lord, Lord, free Peter, save his life. Why don't you protect us, Lord? Why don't you send fire from heaven and destroy the godless Herod? God, answer us. Something like Psalm 17, 13. Rise up, O Lord. Confront them. Bring them down. Rescue me from the wicked of your sword. They do not know what God's plan is. James was dead. Would Peter be next? It seems so. We still pray even when we do not know the outcome of certain events. We pray because we trust that God loves us and believe God to work out his purpose in our lives. We pray because we believe that God will work all things for the good of those who have faith in him and love him. Even if James had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God was still with him. This teaches us that prayer does not first of all change God, though sometimes God does change because of our prayer, but prayer changes us. Prayer changes us to trust that, law, that God is good and that God is sovereign. And what the picture of Peter in these dire circumstances? Peter must be terribly upset. He must also be crying out in anguish to the Lord. But listen, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Did you hear that? Peter was sleeping. Some years before, he had also slept during one night when Jesus came to him and said, Peter, could you not stay awake for me for one hour? At that time, Peter slept because of the weakness of his faith. But now he sleeps in the power of his faith. 
How is that possible? And I would think that Peter prayed too. His soul came to be at rest in a sovereign God, believing that God was with him. A peace that passes all understanding must have come into his soul, and he falls asleep. How is it that Peter could sleep so soundly, knowing that he probably would soon die as a martyr for his faith? And I would think that he could sleep because he knew what he believed. He knew his faith and the truth of his faith. Later he writes in the letter called 1 Peter, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are sheltered by God's power until the coming of the salvation that has already been revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Now, for a little while, you may have to suffer all kinds of trials. A preacher once illustrated the importance of what we believe by painting a mental picture of an iceberg. More than two-thirds of an iceberg is underwater, and what you see is one-third of it. Now, right on the very bottom of the iceberg, which is under the water, imagine the word beliefs, or biblical truths. And then above the word truth, write the word values. What values flow from the truths that you believe? Then write on the part of the iceberg that rises above the water, behavior. The way we behave and live comes from the truths we believe and the values we hold. We only see the behavior of the child of God but that behavior comes from the beliefs we treasure and the values that come from that truth. As God's people, we need to know the truths we believe, the doctrines we hold dear. One of the reasons we come to church is to listen to God's word to learn the truths of the Bible teaches. That's why reading and studying the Bible is so important. Now, the New Testament letters of Paul, then the first part is always doctrinal. He tells us the truth we must hold, such as original sin, grace, justification, sanctification, etc. But then the second part of the letter is always practical. He writes about marriage, work, relationships, and how the truths we believe affect the way we live. How we live flows from what we believe to be true and the values we hold. Well, you see, Peter knew the truth of what he believed. He knew that if he had to die, he would go to be with Jesus in heaven. And so he slept soundly. The truth he believed gave him the values he held, and that resulted in a behavior of resting in God. Yes, Herod may have his plan, but he had not figured, out, figured on what God would do to, in response to praying church. Quick, get up, the angel says. Peter is so amazed at what is happening that he thinks he has to, he's having a dream or a vision. This can't be happening. He's still half asleep and not sure whether he's dreaming or not. I love this story. You can see it happening. Peter is bound by change and shackled to two soldiers. Two more soldiers keep watch. Talk about security. 
There are 12 more soldiers who would spot the others throughout the day and the night. An angel strikes Peter on the side and wakes him up. Peter gets up, but he does not understand what's happening, whether he's asleep, awake, or seeing a vision. The chains fall off his wrists, and he follows the angel. They pass by the guards, and as they come to the iron gate, it opens by itself. Something like when you come to the doors at a grocery store at Walmart, and the doors just open up. You see, that's what happens when God comes to set you free. Chains fall off, bondage is broken, and doors open without you touching them. Some of us are held in chains because of an addiction. Others are shackled by events of the past. And then God's voice comes to you and says like an angel did to Peter, follow me. It may seem like you were dreaming, but as you come to your senses, you begin to realize that as you follow, you are free. John 8.36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Peter comes to the house where the church is praying and he knocks at the door. The door is locked, you see, for fear of persecutors. Rhonda, a servant girl, comes to the door, realizes it's Peter. In her excitement, she doesn't even open up the door and leaves Peter standing there as she turns to others and shouts, Peter is at the door! But the people don't believe it. But when Peter keeps on knocking, they realize that it is Peter and that God has freed him from prison. Peter then leaves, and for some two years we hear nothing for, about Peter, except again in Acts 15 when he is at the Jerusalem council. He probably went into hiding, or like the Apostle Paul, was prepared for his work to come. The power of prayer. Peter was free. That means, congregation, that we need to be faithful in prayer. Prayer is a strength of the powerless. Prayer changes things. What a blessing for us if we fervently and earnestly pray for them. Pray for the church. Pray for the persecuted church. Pray for the church to accomplish its mission in the world for Jesus. Yes, James died. They must have prayed for him. But God still had a purpose for Peter. God's purposes cannot be frustrated. Herod was not the victor, but God is. There is no closed doors for, Lord, for the Lord, even if 16 soldiers guard Peter. What did Jesus say? In the world we shall suffer persecution, but of the good courage I have overcome the world. But we also need to note that though God had answered the prayer of his church in releasing Peter, they at first did not believe it. Someone suggested that the title of the sermon on this passage could be How Not to Hold a Prayer Meeting. When the Lord answered their prayers, they did not believe it. You have to be praying that your mission is reaching the lost may be blessed. Praying that you might understand that lost people matter to God and that they have been found and discipled. God is busy answering your prayers. Maybe seekers and visitors come to our church from time to time. Possibly God has brought you into contact with people that need the Lord, a friend, a neighbor, or an associate from work. Maybe they are looking for a church home, a place to be loved and belong, a place that they might meet Jesus in 
fellow worshipers find purpose in their lives, come to believe that their sins are forgiven and to know that they will go to heaven one day. But no one is inviting them in. And some of us keep praying, Lord, make us effective. And God says, I have been sending all kinds of people to you. Don't leave them standing at the door. Invite them in. Build a relationship with them. Invite them to your homes and make them truly a part of our church family. We are therefore God's Christ's ambassadors, as through God we're making us his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Maybe God is answering your prayers, but you don't believe it. Just one more thing in conclusion. John Stott writes, The chapter opens with James dead, Peter in prison, Herod triumphing. It closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing. The world opposes God in vain. And those who oppose God, who are on Satan's side, do so at their own peril, their eternal peril. Notice what happens to Herod. Herod, he dies an awful death. One day Herod sits on his throne and he addresses the people. They shout, This is the voice of a God, not a man. Herod relishes the glory, but the Lord strikes Herod. An angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms, and he died. Here was Herod in all his glory. He was dressed in a garment that was made of silver, but inside his body worms were destroying him. That's a picture of some people. They look good on the outside, but on the inside, worms are eating them up. Outwardly, some people seem to have it all together. They look great, but inwardly, they are consumed by anger, hate, jealousy, pride, lust, addictions, and greed. Josephus, the Jewish historian who lived during this time, but who was not a Christian, records that Herod died in great pain. He did not give God the glory. God's punishment cannot be avoided. John MacArthur illustrates this truth by giving us some historical examples of people who were foolish enough to oppose God and his church. The 19th century German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche despised Christianity as a religion of weaklings. Fighting God eventually pushed him over the brink and he spent the rest, last several years of his life insane. Novelist Louis, Louis Sinclair, winner of the 1930 Nobel Prize for Literature, also thought he could fight God. His novel, Elmer Gantry, mocked Christianity. Its leading character was an evangelist who was an alcoholic, an unceasing fornicator. Louis's fight against God cost him his sobriety and he died a hopeless alcoholic near Rome. Another Nobel Prize winning author, Ernest Hemingway, considered himself living proof that one could successfully fight God. He boasted of fighting in revolutions, taking women at will, and leading a life of sin without apparent consequences. His sins eventually found him out, however, and he put a shotgun to his head and killed himself. Fighting God cost him his life. But notice again Acts 12, 24. The word of God continued to increase and spread. 
What a contrast with Herod, who thought he was in control. People come and nations go, but the word of God continues to increase and spread. It always does and always will until Jesus returns. Be comforted as God's people. God's sovereignty works his plan until the day comes that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Also pray and work to be used by God and through us and our church. The word of God continues and spreads. Amen.